Welcome to When Grateful Hearts Speak, a podcast about gratitude and empowerment, demystifying the myths of yoga, while connecting our community in conversations without condemnation. back again episode number seven of the grateful hearts speak podcast we're here with our friend dave today and dave and i met at grateful hearts here in crestview he came to the studio and i've been thinking about how i'm going to introduce this episode dave and i'm going to get a little woo woo like right off the bat you know woo woo is like out there (laughs) um and for me when i met dave i could tell that he had a warrior spirit And I believe that we all, I'm telling you it's woo-woo, but I believe that we all choose before we're born, before we come to this place to learn on earth, how we're gonna experience this life. And some of us are warriors and some of us are not so much. And I feel like Dave has this intrinsic ability to help fight the good fight. So with that, Dave, tell us about yourself where you grew up, how you grew up, your family life, etc., and how you landed in Crestview, Florida. Yeah, well, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, like you said, we met here at the yoga studio. Um, yoga is just something that I still do, even though I don't attend your studio, but it's still something I do um, individually in my own time just to stay balanced, just to keep that. I really found that it's, you know, it really helps me just kind of even things out, you know. Like you said, a warrior spirit, well, there's a lot that goes along with that, you know, with time in military service, uh, trauma and things that you experience, you know, you, you just kind of need that reset sometimes. So mm-hmm. I found that yoga really helps with that and meditation as well. Um, so where I grew up, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, um, outside of the Seattle area. Um, I grew up in a really religious family, six, six boys, so I have five brothers. Uh, one of them was killed in Iraq. Um, so now, you know, we're all, we're all pretty close. My parents just actually had their 51 or 51st year anniversary uh, last week. So um, they, you know, really supportive, raised us well. Um, again, being really in a religious family, um, you know, it kept us out of trouble. You know, it kept us in a good circle of friends, I think, and I think that really helped our upbringing. So, um, so I did some humanitarian religious work. You know, I was I was a missionary in Brazil for a couple years when I was young. So I learned Portuguese, and that kind of influenced my military career and and kind of you know helped me uh, grow up quick, basically. So um, after that, I started college. Um, attended George Mason University in, in Northern Virginia, uh, joined the military in 2003, so a little bit after uh, you know, the, the 9-11 events and that whole military push. Um, so I was stationed at Fort Bragg for the first several years of my career, and then I was in 7th Group, 7th Special Forces Group, um, so we got transferred down here to uh, Eglin Air Force Base. And we came down in 20, 12, my family. At the time, I was an instructor, so most of the group moved in 2011. So I, I came a little bit late because I was fulfilling my instructor duties. And so, yeah, we've been here since 2012. That's my background. Nice. What was that? Uh, I didn't know that about being a missionary in Brazil. How old were you when you were doing that work? 19. 
that's pretty standard. Um, I, I grew up Mormon, so that's pretty standard. Um, went down there, do a lot of, uh, you know, teaching, proselytizing, humanitarian work, volunteer work. We taught a lot of English lessons. Just, you know, that's, you know, what a lot of the people enjoyed. So that was a great way to, like, build rapport and get to know, you know, the people. So. And did your Portuguese help you in the military? Is that what you're saying? It did, yeah. So... Um, my military experience, my whole career, I was a Green Beret. So um, you, we signed up, I signed up as an 18 X-ray. It's a program that they really needed to bump up the numbers in Special Forces when you know the 9-11 crisis happened. So uh, basically that program lets them recruit people off the streets and instead of going the regular Army route, they're able to go straight into the SF pipeline. Okay. So it kind of streamlines things. So I did that and I, was, I actually skipped language school. Uh, it's mandatory to take a language, but because I already spoke Portuguese and Spanish for the most part, um, I skipped language school, so that helped streamline me through the process, and then I had several deployments down in South America, so I actually used Portuguese and Spanish quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Wow, and so uh, were all of your, you said five brothers plus mm -hmm. you, were they all in the military as well? No, no, just my brother that passed away in Iraq, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry to hear that So, so well. just the two of us. <clears throat> Um, okay, so you've been here since 2012 with your family. Um, what led you to start working with this place in Pensacola's organization? And tell us a little bit about the organization called to Rescue. Is sure. Yep. Yep. So they're one of many. I mean, there's there's a lot of organizations out here. It's just one that I found that's local, and um, the organizer owner of the organization is. A, a great shepherd. He really is a shepherd. He's a he's a great man, and um, it's a good organization that I wish I could be a little bit more involved with. But you know, I've got some things going on with daughter softball and stuff, so I can't spend as much time doing this work as I'd like to. Mm -hmm. You know, when she goes to college, that'll be a different story. But um, so basically, I was talking to a friend, and he told me that he was approached by a guy that was looking for guys with military background to do, do work like this, right? Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, I'm interested. I'm retired now. Give me his name and info. And he, he kind of lagged and took a while to get back to me. But a couple days later, I ran into this guy um, and he was doing a clearance background check, you know? And I was like, well, I know all about that. I had several of those done. So we started talking about my background, his background. So then he mentioned this organization and it turns out he was the one that actually talked to my friend as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. So um, we exchanged contact information. Uh, he put me in touch with the owner, owner of Call to Rescue, or the founder of Call to Rescue. And we had an interview, I did some training, and then it just, I went and did a deployment with them. So explain what, because people might not know what Call to Rescue is, explain exactly what they're doing, what kind of work sure. they're doing. So they do a lot of work locally. Um, they do work with law enforcement when they're invited and they're pretty well vetted he's done it for a long time and he also runs a ministry um, in Pensacola so he he helps a lot of the homeless out and he helps a lot of the people in need that are in Pensacola but on the side not on the side but in the meantime he's also doing this work so they deploy they do big searches you know all over the US um, they're actually doing one in Pensacola this next week uh, they're kicking it off Sunday the same day we're doing the caravan mm -hmm. And they're doing it all the week, next week. 
And so they, they go out and they canvas and they spread information. They coordinate with local churches, local events, um, other local organizations that are doing the searches as well. And they spread the awareness and just get the word out there. And when there are children that need to be found, you know, they, people come in, they have volunteers from all over the country that come in and also locally that help them do those efforts. If, if a person is missing a child, mm -hmm. is this a resource that a parent can uh, tap into for help? Absolutely, and I, I believe um, I believe he's very connected with law enforcement, uh -huh. and so they do re reach out to him when needed. Okay. So, but it is a resource. I mean, it's it's just one more tool in the basket, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you need to go the law enforcement route because legally right, that's exactly. what you need to do, yeah. mm -hmm. but. His organization is also an organization that can bring in that manpower and that experience. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, a big part is just calming the parents and the family and, mm -hmm. and comforting them. Yes. And he's very experienced in that. And he's got people in the staff that are experienced in that too. So, yeah. So they are, they are a good tool to reach out to. I'd highly recommend it locally. And what was his name? His name's Brad Dennis. Okay. And so he sounds like an amazing person, human being that's doing the work, um, not only a, a a missionary himself mm -hmm. reaching homeless people right by reaching these families and organizing this whole ordeal to where you can he can bring in the volunteers and are they mostly volunteers the people that work for him or yes. are there any grants that help pay for yes there are I mean they rely heavily on donations like any mm -hmm. you know nonprofit organization does and but from what I've seen you know they also partner with bigger organizations that are nationally tied mm -hmm. so when they travel to do these big searches you know it's it's a partnership you know I would say that um, called the rescue, they bring a lot of experience and a lot of tools. And then, you know, maybe the bigger organizations are the ones that actually help fund it and help okay. supply the logistics so it's that they like can a, actually a work. part of a network. Right. They're very networked in. Like he, he knows organizations, country and worldwide. Mm -hmm. So when they go do these searches, they're all tied in. They'll combine efforts so that they're not, you know, crossing, crossing toes and stepping on each other and things like that. And, and to go back to what you were saying about canvassing areas, um, if you could clarify a little bit, is that to talk with people to educate them about that this is an issue? Is it to look for signs if there's a kid that's acting a little you know, like uncomfortable, right. or is it a, a like a combination of just everything when they when they go out? Well, if it's in an active search, obviously, obviously, it's to cover area and spread awareness, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if it's not, if they're just going out to raise awareness, you know, handing out flyers on populated areas and things like that, it's it is, you know, these are the signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. If you know anybody, let us know. Mm -hmm. um, we're an organization that that's doing this in the area, so you know, contact us. Um, so it's. It's basically just to spread the awareness and get the word out because, I mean, if something like that happens and what are you going to do, Call, contact law enforcement and maybe Google it? Like, who are you going to find, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. obviously, it needs to be a reputable source mm -hmm. that can actually help you out. So, when we were preparing for this interview, Dave, Robin and I went and saw The Sound of Freedom. And I know that's a big part of what you want to talk about today is the movie. And I just want to throw some statistics out there that we found. And you can correct me if any of this doesn't sound right. But from the Bureau, Bureau of Justice Statistics and the Human Trafficking Data Collection Activities of 2022, I found this really interesting. That of the 1,169 defendants charged in the U.S. in 2020, 92% were male, 63% were white, 
18% were black, 17 were Hispanic, 95% were US citizens, and 66% had no prior convictions. Right. So this is the guy next door. Yeah. Like this is the person that your kids probably trust. And you know, we've always said that. We've tried to educate our children on good touch, bad touch, please tell somebody, you know, but this is happening by record numbers, and Florida is the third state, the third highest ranking state with cases reported in the US. From what I'm looking at, the stats I have, California, then Texas, then Florida. Right. So that was shocking to me, and I didn't know any of this until watching that movie. And, and it's not what you, what you might think a stereotypical pedophile sure. might appear to be. You know, a creepy looking sure. person. What they portray it's, in the movies. Yeah, it's yeah. the sheep in yeah. wolf clothing. Right. Yeah, we've sure. talked about that you before. Know. How there's been like yeah. members of churches that yes. we kind of felt uncomfortable yes, with, and then young, there were came out we later. Found that there were two pedophiles sure. and, yeah. that we were going to church with. They both were arrested and have served time. One was in the military and was sent to Leavenworth, and and it's just like that was my children were like four and six maybe then and it was just sobering and eye-opening because we would just you know you just go and let your kids run around and you have activities and and yeah. it's, You're it's part of just this family that's supposed to be supportive yeah, loving and supportive and, and, and you don't was, know what's happening yeah so after watching the movie robin and i were really overwhelmed uh there was a very somber feeling in the theater and i don't want to you know, say too much if you're listening and you still want to go and watch it, but it is very tastefully done. Um, it's like we were talking about, doesn't show too much of the stuff that you don't want to see, but it shows you just enough that you can imagine um, the horrific things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that it's horrific and it's sad and it's, you know, makes you want to throw up the whole time you're watching it, especially if you're a parent and even if you're not. Um, so tell us a little bit about the movie and your your uh, experience of how it is so real right how so how did it relate sure so i mean i'm i'm no subject matter expert on this you know i I've, I've been around you know central and south america i've seen uh it happen or not it happened but i mean i've experienced it you can sometimes you're in locations that you just tell you know that's not a good neighborhood and things like that do happen mm-hmm. um i would say the movie was just like you said it was very tastefully done i think um it was shot very well. Um, they get their message across without being crude or without turning off the audience. Uh, they do a good job in making it emotional and you know make you feel how serious it is and mm-hmm. you know how more people should be aware of it. And and honestly, I think it was pretty realistic. Was a lot of the locations that were in the movie, I've personally been to, and you know that's that's you know Cartagena. I spent some time there in the, in the jungles. You know, I've been there. So it's, you know, I think, I think they did a really good job at showing a realistic picture, you know, of that type of world and, you know, how things happen. Now, in the real world during searches and rescues, whether it's here in, in, the, in the States or, you know, internationally, you know, does it go down like in the movie? You know, not all the time, you know, it's, that's still a Hollywood kind of thing, but um, in reality, you know, it's, it's just a sad thing that happens, but I think they do a good job in portraying it. And from what I've seen, um, it's there's a lot more that goes behind the scenes than you know people realize. 
That was one of my questions. Like, how many working parts are there actually in one rescue? Yeah, man, there's a lot. So, so I'll just share my experience from a big search that I did in Las Vegas. So we went there. We had quite a bit of success, I think. I was only there for eight days, and you know there were several children found. I don't want to get into the numbers or anything, but um, there's a whole team that does it volunteers from all over the country uh, we basically flew in we sh we had like an operational house some people stayed in hotels or Airbnbs but we had an operational house that was an Airbnb that you know we all shared um, we lived together it was like 24 7 activities you know you're up all day you know sometimes into the night um, all these volunteers really dedicate a lot of their time so you, you generally have like a support team um, which are people on that can navigate through social media and actually search people. You know, we call caseworkers, we call friends and family, we call last known contacts. So, you know, we're, you know, you're given a little packet with some personal information on who's missing, and okay. you just gotta gotta fill in the blanks, right? So you have a specific um, child yes. that you're looking for, yes. or specific children that you're looking for, yeah. and do you work with? the local law, law enforcement I, as well? I mean, that's required here in the States, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't just go out and do this on Vigilante your own. You've work, got to yeah. let law enforcement mm -hmm. know, you know, uh, LVPD, Las Vegas PD was uh, very, you know, they, they helped us. They, you know, they were they familiar with what hill. was going on. They actually yeah. came and visited the house and mm -hmm. saw, saw the center that we were running and everything. Um, we had their contact information in case we ran into any kind of trouble. You know, we could ring them right up 24-7 and let them know what was going on. But, you know, it's a whole operation. Um, Mr. Dennis does a great job of running it from what I've seen. And, you know, he, he coordinates everything. You got the support people, you have the operational people that actually go out on the streets, which is mostly what I did, you know, going out and helping with security when, you know, site visits and people were being interviewed in case, you know, people got, you know, a little offended or, you know, offensive. Um, so, you know, and, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, though, because then you got the whole logistics part. You know, when you have 20-something volunteers coming in, how are they fed? Where are they sleeping? Mm -hmm. Transportation. Nobody down. drove there. I mean, very yeah. few people drove yeah. there, so now you got rental cars. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of logistics that go on behind the scenes, mm -hmm. and that's why the donations for thing, things like this are so important. I mean, because everybody donated their time. I paid for my plane ticket there, you know, paid mm -hmm. for meals. Um, you do have local church organizations there that would, you know, cater in mm -hmm. meals and stuff for us and to support, but... For the most part, these volunteers pay out of pocket, and then there's a lot of exponential costs that go on behind that. So making the flyers and all that stuff, you know, setting up the operations center, the computers, their TVs, cameras, things like that. So is what you um, have experienced in doing this is is it similar to what goes what what we saw in the movie, in that sense? So, I mean, he had a very small team. It was in what they portrayed in the movie. I don't mm -hmm. want to go into what possibly right. happened behind the scenes, yeah. but you know, he was prior uh, law enforcement and he kind of went off and with the blessing of host nation, you know, he went into country and he had contacts from those mm -hmm. countries. Mm -hmm. So that's what we call host nation. So he had contacts there. He coordinated with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So, um, but he, it seems like he had a very small team in the movie. There were what, three or four people? Yeah, and he also so, had to be funded by right. a millionaire. Right, a millionaire, yeah. 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 <laughs> to so, be able to con control this sure. situation. So, I mean, it costs money. Uh, it takes a lot of manpower. And I'm sure he did a lot of work on his own. And, you know, 
actually Mr. Ballard was Mormon as well, and I'm I'm not sure, but I think mm -hmm. he was probably a missionary and spoke Spanish. That's why he could actually go yeah, down to these places. Because yeah. mm -hmm. it doesn't do any good to go to a foreign country if you don't speak the right, language. Right. Nobody's going to take you serious. So yeah. that that was that whole situation when he went into the jungle. And again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you're planning on still watching, but um, how scared must he have been? Because he had what five, six, seven children himself and a wife at home and with her blessing you know he was saving these children but have you been in situations where you have just feared for your life or feared that you wouldn't get home to your family yeah yeah um, uh, uh, yeah i mean i don't want to get into any of that and that you know raises some stuff so but yeah i want me to raise the stuff i know you do but yeah <laughs> i mean i just watching it i couldn't believe <clears throat> i'm like he's not you know, he'd crack a little sly smile or something, but he didn't show any fear. And that's what I'm talking about with the warrior spirit. Like, how do you balance, how do you find balance there? So I think that, you know, military and law enforcement in general does a good job at desensitizing and training. So that when you are put into situations like that, you're, you're scared, you're nervous, but you can overcome it because you've done it in training. And I think that that just kind of kicks in mm -hmm. and, you know, you have people around you. In my situations, you know, I I'd had people around me that I trusted, and you know, so what happened in the movie? I don't I don't know if I'd take it 100% face value as mm -hmm. what's happened because I've actually read things that, you know, the story is based on true events, but mm -hmm. some things were you know added yeah, to make it screen worthy, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, going into the jungle in situations like that, I mean, there are still right now places that are rebel controlled in the jungles down in South America and in law enforcement, military, they just don't enter it, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are that, that's factual. I mean, that really happens. And you know, in that case, if someone were to go in like that, that would be a pretty scary situation because you don't have any support. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was him yeah. and another yeah. guy yeah. into the getaway car. Yeah. Um, so is that factual from what actually happened? He did that part or was that a little glamorized? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say. Either, but yeah. But that was that was a really impactful part of the movie for sure. Would yeah. you? Um, I'm trying to have our listeners be able to kind of visualize exactly what you do, so that we can hopefully create some support financially and just you know anybody who has a heart or feels led to do the work that you do. Uh, would you categorize it as like a sting operation? Because like they did, like they had these scenarios they set up to draw in yes. um, yep. the people who are yep. kidnapping the children. And right. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, you can read, you can research articles and stuff like that it goes on all over the country. I mean, there was just uh, one in Ohio, you know, that just happened the other day where they, you know, caught several. They basically just set up a sting house, and mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, over a hundred were arrested or something like that, yeah. and charged. They just said, you know, men just keep showing up, like guy after guy after guy, and they just kept mm -hmm. it. Kind of so, like the show catching a, a, a predator, or right? That show so, is. So, I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, that is one way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that does happen. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go into kind of tactics or techniques right, because you exactly. know those yeah, kind of trade wanna, secrets yeah. are important. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you know that that does happen. I mean. Organizations, law enforcement organizations and volunteer organizations are helping them out and they do that all the time. And so when this happens and you, of course, your first priority is to get the children out of the circumstances that right. they're in, but also to Guarantee catch the safety. And, and, and catch the predators Apprehend and them, catch right. the people who are organizi organizing this behind the scenes as right. well. 
So there's many layers to there are. Like, I mean, the efforts. are you going after the guy that's coming in, or are you trying to find out who's actually setting up? Mm-hmm. You know that operation. Like the bigger fish, right? Or, yeah. So whatever. and law yeah. enforcement, I think, does a great job of handling mm-hmm. all that. I mean, they're the professionals mm-hmm. at all that. I'm not, as far as law enforcement and, and this subject. But um, what you said, as far as like making sure the children are safe, just to go into that a little bit. When I was doing the big rescue, um, one thing that was required by Mr. Dennis is that women are on site so mm-hmm. that, you know, that nurturing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you help rescue a 13, 14 year old girl. She's not going to want five or six military looking guys yeah. standing around and like, she's right. pretty Especially traumatized Especially when you're in that vulnerable, you've yeah. been abused. And so you're distressful, right? Automatically you're, you know, your walls and sure. Up. Yeah. So his requirement obviously is to have females on site so that they can help, um, calm and, you know, talk and be a, a little bit more point of trust, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, just to expand on the story, I didn't want to get into too many details on any of the rescues, but there was a, a 14 year old girl that we found, I think she was 14, 13 or 14, and they ended up making contact with her, convinced her to meet him at, at a parking lot of a, a store and, and they did the meet and she agreed to go with them for help, um, to basically leave her situation and you know, get help from this organization, from us. And, you know, I was asked to be with one of the guy, Dan, I was asked to be security. Mm. Sorry. (laughs) But it's just sad, the, uh, the things they go through because we took this girl shopping to Walmart and she'd never been clothes shopping. She's she's never she didn't know what a dressing room was. Wow. And I volunteered. She she was we were gonna take her back through a caseworker to get um, get back with a foster family. And there was a, a young one in the foster family she wanted to buy a present for, and I volunteered to purchase and buy that present. And she couldn't make a decision on what he should have because she'd never really been shopping for anybody. Well, she's always been told right. what to do right. instead of having any autonomy over her life. And to see a 14-year-old, yeah. my daughter was like the same age pretty much at that yeah. time, so it was, it was pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. We know this is a extremely emotional um, topic. We knew this going in, this would be one of our <laughs> hardest to date to talk about. But this is the stuff that we have to talk about because we obviously see how much revenue the movie has generated, how much awareness it's generated. Because in the theater, like he said in the end, you're captivated by this message. You are seeing, you can't go anywhere unless you choose to get up and leave. Um, You are seeing the brutality of these situations. And as parents, as human beings who have a heart, who are compassionate against poor other people, this is really hard. This is really tough to witness. And my hat is off to you because, you know, you've had the training and, and I know you didn't want to talk about the desensitizing and all of that, but for us, we've never been in the military, so we don't know what you've had to experience and go through and be desensitized to. Um, but even in all of that training, you're put into these new situations, like you said, you've never seen this young woman be so lost yeah. and that's heart-wrenching 
Right. And so, and another thing that I kind of wanted to hit on was, you know, not all of the cases are like actual abductions, right? So a lot of them are young children, mostly young women that are leaving home for a certain reason. You know, maybe, you know, there's a bad situation happening with mom or dad or a sibling mm -hmm. or a step-sibling in many cases. A lot of them that I saw during the big search that I did were um, children running from foster situations. A lot of the, and I'm not gonna say anything bad about the foster situations because there are a lot of good foster parents out there that are doing it for the right reason. But from what you know, a lot of people saw out there, it was uh, kids running from the foster program. And I think it was a bit, pretty broken program there. I mean, that's just what I saw in that locale. I'm not saying anything mm -hmm. here locally is like that. But that's a big city, right? Yeah. Las Vegas, pretty yeah. big city. So they have a lot of people, a lot of kids to handle, a lot of runaways. Um, even their uh, like homeless shelters, their organizations, not the best situation. Like when we would find some children, a lot of them were afraid to go back to the situation that they had just come from. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're trying to escape. But where do they go? Like mm -hmm. they're trying to escape something. They don't have anywhere to go. So they're out on the street and they meet so-and-so that wants to be their controller or their pimp, right? Mm -hmm. They build a relationship of trust, makes her feel important, and then they get into the whole mind game thing, which, mm -hmm. and then they do things that they shouldn't be doing. So the big, my big learning point from that was, all right, the system's broken. It's important to go out and search and find them, but then what? What's like, the what's next, the next yeah. step? Do we mm -hmm. hand them over to the caseworkers and then the caseworkers hand them back to the foster family, which they're running from from the get-go? That's going to be a, a recycling right. movement, right? Mm -hmm. They're just, it's going to keep being a cycle. So that's a long-term fix. It's on a much higher level as far as local and state and federal, you know, organizations that can actually impact those changes. And I don't think the leadership is doing what they need to be doing to make those changes mm -hmm. in those organizations. Leadership at state, federal levels, yes. anything like that. Yeah. So it's just not a priority. We were just talking about that with the last podcast with the homelessness crisis. Right. Um, most of the time it's a mental health crisis, you yeah. know, and Robin and I were, were kind of shocked that, you know, the mass majority that they're picking up in the shelter are not drug addicted humans. Sometimes they just need to go to a medical appointment and they right. can't get there or they don't have an ID yeah, to be that able to work. And say, yeah, that's so. a beautiful thing about what the shelter and their volunteers are doing is just helping them get back on track, helping them feel like a human being again. Right. Like somebody cares. Like somebody yeah. cares. And, and, and you were saying um, like you have the females there. Are there is there an outreach or an appealing to maybe someone who has like um, mental health care training to be there because it seems like that would be like the next step in as far as their recovery from what what the experience that the child has gone through is is to make sure and you know and you would hope in, in you know in a perfect world that the foster care system or that when they go back with the parents that they would reach out to a professional mental health counselor to, to help, help um, overcome this. I mean, I just, I just can't even imagine where you would even begin right. to help a child overcome this. But Well, each situation is different. And like I said, from what I've seen, you know, Mr. Dennis called the rescue. Uh, they, they do train mm -hmm. their volunteers. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're well versed in what to do in those That's situations. Right. Right. Um, yeah. 
you know, obviously people with certain skill sets should volunteer to do things like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we hope that there are people, you know, as we prayed before we yeah. even started this, that the, the right people will hear this too. Yeah, it's, it's not just guys like in the movie going down and kicking open doors and, and doing the rescue. There's so much behind the scenes. Like, yeah. if you're good with social media, they could really use you. Mm-hmm. They need to, I mean, that's one way of reaching out to these children that are missing. They still have their phones. They're still active on social media. Um, that's a great way to reach out and be like, hey, we want to help you. Can we talk? Can mm-hmm. we meet somewhere? Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not going to trust just anybody that's reading out, reaching exactly. out to them through social media. You need to know how to navigate that. Yeah. You need to know how to talk to them, comfort mm-hmm. them. So if you're good with social media, if you're good at comforting people, you know, if you've got financial resources you can help with. Uh, a strong, if you're, if, intuitive, developed self. If to, you're good at organizing. Rich, exactly. Yeah, a child that's in a desperate situation like that right if you're good at um making flyers or graphic design like that's huge i mean you know make the product look Mm -hmm. appealing Mm -hmm. because we're we're sending it out to the masses um if you've got you know a background in logistics and you're great at organizing things like events or transportation they could use people like that because the less the the actual owner of, of an organization has to do as far as the back leg work, the more he can reach out and build relationships and do what he does best. Yes. So the more people that volunteer with those skill sets, you know, it takes more of a load off the people that are well vested mm-hmm. into it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's a very good message. Uh, One of out. the statistics that I think I heard in the movie was something like a 5,000% increase in these occurrences in years past how much do you think that increase is a direct result of smartphones social media mobile porn sites being more available to everyone like it's it's an opportunity for a person with bad intentions to lure right uh, people, a child. I know you don't even do social media. So, well, and for a reason. I mean, yeah. it's not because I don't know how. So I'll, yes. I'll talk. I'll address both things you just brought up. So, I had my first phone when I was 21. I remember I got it, and it was text and call, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it might have been a little late. People probably had them before that, but. And now you have kids that are seven or eight years old with unlimited access data plans and unmonitored cell phones and they can get up and type anything they want into any kind of search engine or download any kind of app and they have full access to things that and even if even an adult is not see. to search right. for right. something that's not it's it it'll pop up it'll yeah. still pop up mm-hmm. yeah, i mean that, that's a target rich environment for some of these advertisers and some of these sites you know mm-hmm. um so you know you, and so yeah the access to it has definitely led to that percentage of increase i'm not a big statistics guy but that sounds about right <laughs> But yeah, just the availability, and then you know that is an addiction. So it just builds and builds over the years, and then you get into the by doing stuff like that, you get into the wrong crowd. So then all your peers and people that you interact with are doing those same things, and it, it's like a snowball. It just keeps growing, mm-hmm. and it's hard. To, I'm sure it's hard to get out of. So um, as far as why I don't do social media, um, I went to a training course, and I'm not going to get into what it was, but it involved technology and mobile devices and social media and things like that and one of the subject matter experts there one of the best in the world you know he was he told us offhand he's like you know social media is going to be a huge reason why things go really bad in a couple years and you know it's it's really going to degrade what the family unit is and 
you know, as far as you being in the military, you know, he's recommended that we stay off social media just because, you know, you might share things that you shouldn't or people can exploit you, you know, Mm -hmm. you just, it's just a tool that I don't need, so. I wish I didn't need it most yeah. of the time. Well, you run um, a business. I'm you need to promote my business. Absolutely. I'm trying to reach people. Um, but there are times where it, it does. It just sucks the life out of you. Right. And you're just mindlessly scrolling and you're there. I mean, it's you addictive. Know? You see some people that are, you know, they're visiting with family or, you know, they're just out in their car or whatever. And they're, they're, on, on their phone. they're on their phone 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Any doctor's office appointment or whatever, everybody's on their phone. There's like no interaction. It's just, it's an addiction. And it, it's gotten pretty bad, but as far as children having access to it, I think that's a big cause of, you know, why things have evolved in the last 15, 20 years. Because now these predators can, like you said, reach out to these right. children or target them. Gaming certain- systems, you know, all the gaming sites and things, the yeah, availability to chat with strangers online that you think is a, another 16-year-old kid. He's yeah. really a 45-year-old pedophile that's mm-hmm. just trying to get information on you so he can blackmail you and yeah. hit you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. They know the manipulate, manipulative phrases right. to interject. <clears throat> to, yeah, they're, they're pros. They really are. Yeah, to a, 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 a brain that is not fully developed. To and, and I'm guilty of the parent boasting, you know, like, oh, little Johnny did this, and I'm posting his picture, and I'm where he goes to school, and, and who his teacher is, and, and now this person knows everything about our life as well. Right. And, and they can... Mm-hmm. They can say, or your location. Oh, we're yeah. going to Disney. Sure. Okay. You know, I mean, right. I mean, that's kind of a, a vast thing. But if we're going to the mall to buy shoes or whatever, you know. Um, well, there and there is a, you know, there's a balance between that. I mean, obviously, there are good uses for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to educate. If you're going to do that, you need to educate yourself on how to lock down or how to control mm-hmm. your teenager, your child, how to monitor mm-hmm. it. I mean, they have programs and apps out there now that you can pay a couple bucks a month and they're they're great you get notified whenever something happens they can't bypass it or just having you know talking with your teenager or your child I will be checking your phone every couple weeks you know um, I'll be checking what kind of apps you're downloading what kind of messages you're sending just let them know that you are monitoring it you know when you give those expectations out there you know if they don't follow it obviously there has to be some kind of punishment but that's just being a parent you know are you more worried about being your child's friend or are you more worried about being their parent and their example? You know, it's, it, yeah. there's got to be a balance with mm-hmm. both of it. Because with their undeveloped minds, they don't see this bigger picture right. that we're trying to show the them. The repercussions of a choice. Their addiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so we talked about the phones and, and social media and all of that. What can we do? What else can we do as parents in America, in the United States, in Florida, which is ranking the third highest for sex traffic or missing and exploited children. What can we do to keep them safe? What else can we do? In your opinion, what's your advice here? Yeah, I would say um, know who their friends are, um, know what they're doing on their phone, know where they're at. I mean, until there's that certain level of trust, you know, um, basically just just being a parent and take them to see the movie, have these conversations. You know, I think every, just like um, Jim Cavaziel said, Uh, Every teenager in America should see this movie, you know, that raises awareness. It lets them know it's serious. Um, They should be talking about this stuff with their friends, you know. They should be able to pick up when their friends are showing signs Mm -hmm. of this going on in their house or with a stranger. Parents need to be educated as to, because they are, you have a child, you're going to see other children, and so you would know what's going on. You know, one thing we um, haven't touched on from the movie is, 
something that I did wasn't aware of was how much this crime has increased and kind of overshadowed other things. Like mm -hmm. one of the, um, I think it was maybe maybe at the end of the movie, I'm not sure, but where they said you can sell a kilo of cocaine mm -hmm. one time, so there's your profit. You can sell a child multiple times a day for years. So. Um, it's it's all about making the money. There's no humanity. There's no. It, it's all about that that right. dollar. And so people who are maybe even in desperate situations can get into it. You know, uh, that was just really just so a sobering right. fact to me. And I think that obviously the drug crisis in our country and around the world obviously is increasing you know addiction is a real thing mm -hmm. but I mean if you actually think about the number of sex trafficked children and what's the recovery from that so a child that's has those traumatizing events happen to them for years mm -hmm. and then they're just discarded whenever they escape it or whenever they're whoever's handling them is done yeah what is what does that person do next what kind of recovery is available mm -hmm. like what kind of life is led after that you know it, they don't just recover and become no, a, a normal you human like, yeah. oh, they love me now and this is this is a safe place it's not it would take a lot of help so I mean if you yeah. take those numbers over the years how many people in the last 10 years for example have been in that lifestyle and now are done with it what you know what's the future for them and it just keeps getting worse and worse every year that's why it's such a crisis that leadership and organizations need to Pastors of churches, I don't think they talk about it enough. Mm -hmm. You know, is it just a typical Sunday gathering where everybody feels good, or are you actually addressing real issues? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think congregations should hold church leaders and organizational leaders accountable. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you talking about this? You know, this is a real issue. Yeah, or why aren't you offering the support and the help for these individuals who are broken and? We're running programs that raise awareness. Yeah, and there are good ones out there, but I just I, I think there needs to be more done. We talked to <clears throat> Joanne episode before last, Kleppel, and she's our, our friend that comes here and hosts Reiki and, and uh, breath work and tapping, and she has all these tools. She's, she's been to 50 different countries and trained in different areas of the world, but she spoke a little bit and, and gave her testimony of sorts of how she was raised and there was trauma mm -hmm. and she was in the foster care system and, you know, statistically when she would go and speak to someone, a doctor or someone else, they would say, how are you the way you are? You should be apathetically you down this other path. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was very um, wild to hear her share that experience because, yeah, not, not many of them make it out on the other side. Right. You know, and, and it takes the kind of work that Joanne has done on herself to realize different patterns and decide that she wanted a different path for her life mm -hmm. than that of her parents or her siblings or, or whoever around her that were, were going, you know, making these poor choices. So uh, you'll have to listen to that episode if you want to hear more about Joanne's story. But, um, and I know that, you know, you've had some stuff in your life, you know, prior military and all of that, some trauma. So I appreciate that you have made the decision to come out on the other side of all that you've experienced and do the work. I know when we first met, you were doing the work, you know, and you had done the work. 
Um, if there's anything else that you want to share about that, I mean, there are military individuals. I have a very close friend um, who, well, he was a close friend in high school who was in Iraq when all that happened, and he grew up in the foster care system. He, uh, I think the trauma was just expedited, right. you know, yeah. and compounded, compounded, compounded and <clears throat> into a place that he couldn't come back from, and he made some choices that affected his life extremely. And I hope that he, and I pray every day that he can still come back from those choices and something good can come from all of the bad. Yeah. Um, but any advice or, or help if there's a, you know, veteran listening that is struggling or, you know, that you would like to share? Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, whether it's military service or personal trauma, you know, it, it, trauma is trauma. And when you don't process that trauma, you know, it just builds up and snowballs, like you said. So uh, talking about it helps, um, finding ways to deal with it, um, whether it's personal time or hobbies or meditation, yoga, working out, um, finding people with like interests, you know, having a good group of people around you, you know, that, that really helps out. Um, sleeping properly, you know, that was my biggest thing. You know, I got out of the military and I just, I didn't really have a, feel like, feel like I had a purpose. You know, I, I struggled quite a bit. Um, got into some substance abuse issues. Um, actually went to a recovery center called Warrior's Heart in Texas. And, you know, that helped a great deal with uh, talking to specialists and just, it was a, so they're, they're an organization that only deals with veterans and prior uh, first responders, right? So you're kind of with the same crowd. You're with people that have been there and done that. So a lot of your experiences and what you share are the same. So by no means am I perfect now. You know, it's, it's, it's still a daily struggle, um, but they give you some good tools that you can put in your tool, toolkit, your toolbox that, you know, when you, so that you can realize when you're kind of starting to slip again. Um, met a lot of good people there, so keep in touch with them. Um, it's just, you know, that, it's a real thing. You know, getting out of the military, it's a big transition. And a lot of guys, you know, they just slip into another job or contracting. Um, you know, how much did your family struggle when you were gone? You know, how much trauma did they go through because you were always gone or mm -hmm. because you had some kind of episode with them? You know, so, you know, it's just, it's a real thing. It can get worse and worse, but if you, there are a lot of things that you can do to help recover from that. And there are resources provided. Yeah. Um, do, do you know that getting out? Are you made aware of it from the end of the military? You for that transitioning yeah. back into? I, I don't want to get too much into that. The whole transition mm -hmm. process, I don't think it's done very well. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for your service. Yeah. You know, have a good day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are tools out there. I think you just need to be proactive. And if you rely on what the military provides after you give it, get out, you're not going to have very you have many to be your own. You got to go do your own thing. Go, mm -hmm. go look for your own thing, what suits you. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different, so mm -hmm. I, you know I can't say what I found is the ultimate fix. But mm -hmm. um, having that shared experience of what actually maybe was the catalyst to the addiction—it's not about the addiction; it's about right. the years of compounded issues that haven't been dealt with. Yeah, it's yeah. like adding fuel to the fire, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's just, it's important to get that trauma processed, whether it's military trauma, combat mm -hmm. trauma, personal trauma, childhood trauma, whatever trauma is, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. One's not better or more important than the other. Trauma's trauma. It's you, still you, in there. you just got to process it. You got to talk about it. You got to address you. it. I know you that was it. very personal, so I appreciate you. I mean, we appreciate you sharing that. Sure. And it's a real issue. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that many people in our country face. So, how else can we get involved with help spreading this message? Please tell us about the caravan that's coming up. Sure. So, after seeing the movie, um, Operation Underground Railroad's been around for a while. You know, they're one of the bigger organizations. And so, Underground Railroad is separate from the Pensacola it is, yeah. call to rescue. Sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So, what I did is I got on the Operation Underground Railroad website because I knew the outreach would be larger or large. And I signed up for a caravan to lead a caravan around the Panhandle. Uh, we'll be starting this Sunday, the 30th, at 9 a.m. at Orthopedics Associates, their parking lot right there off South 85, um, right before you start heading down to, to uh, Niceville. So I picked that location just because it's a good central meeting location. It's going to be a Sunday morning. You know, parking lot will be empty. Um, everybody can get on and off of I-10 pretty easy and meet. So we hope to leave at nine if people can get there a little early and decorate their windows or you know talk and you know coordinate a little bit that'd be nice i'll prob probably be there just after eight um, we're going to drive down through niceville to destin we'll stop at the walmart in destin for 15 20 minutes for a restroom break and because people that are in destin don't necessarily want to drive up to crestview to join it right so they can just jump on in, in destin right mm -hmm. so after we leave destin we'll go to navarre through fort walton um, we'll stop at the Walmart there and f again 15-20 minutes and then we'll continue up through Pensacola to Milton stop at the Walmart there just people can use the restroom uh, anybody can join on from Pensacola there that want to and then we'll end back at the same spot in Crestview and if people want to do a meet-and-greet and talk you know hopefully there'll be a couple people that have done it before that'll be there I'll be there and we can share information share contact information and I'm by no means the leader of any organization. I'm just trying to raise awareness um, because so I've been the there. the purpose of this, the end goal, is to educate. And educate people, people, share contact information, hopefully put people that are really interested in helping mm -hmm. in touch with the right people that do this full time. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't do it full time. I'm just trying to be a little avenue to raise awareness, get people to jump in on the caravan. If we so had, some people, you know, won't be listening to this before that, so. Yeah. Hopefully, there, I'll, I'll try to get it. Yes, yeah, but I mean, but I mean, there would naturally yeah. it's going to be out there. Right. People are going to listen to it afterwards, I, so they can still reach out to like the um, the call to rescue and the Operation Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. They can go to those websites and right. find out information on how to help if if this particular caravan has already passed when you do listen to right. it. Right, and if you're interested in doing something local contact call the rescue and you know if that's not your cup of tea you know he can always put you in touch with other organizations other in the area so that, that your particular skill can exactly be used. right mm -hmm. but you know i just want to raise awareness if we have 20 vehicles in the caravan great if we have 200 i've already gotten 50 emails from people that saw it on the website mm -hmm. i was the point of contact they've contacted me i shared them the map and the instructions and how the caravan's going to work and said spread the word and that was the website the operation underground mm -hmm. Railroad. Right. website okay and we're going to list your contact information in the show notes today mm -hmm. um, your phone number if that's okay yep. with you and your email address if people want to text me or email me and, and ask about this I can just send them a quick 
a paragraph on the caravan and, and a map. And I think you posted it I also. I posted it on right. the Grateful Hearts Facebook page as well. And I'll, I'll repost a couple times before Sunday. Yeah. Um, you've talked about how you stay grounded. You're personally, you know, you practice, you breathe, you meditate. Um, what else do you do? I know Robin had this question of, you know, how do you do this work without being just completely overwhelmed and pulled into that state of the depths of depression because of the reality of these situations? So I've actually only done one search, right? So I did that one in, in Las Vegas. And, you know, so my daughter's very busy in softball and we were pretty much going all summer long. And because I was gone so much with her growing up, what I don't want to happen now that, you know, she's 16, high school years, you know, she's starting to get recruited for softball and, you know, that's really what she enjoys doing. I don't want to leave again and miss these moments. I, I miss so much of her childhood. Yeah, I heard someone say one time, I don't want to save the world from lose my child, right. you know, right. so that's not the right order of things. So I want to do what I can to help out with the, the movement and raising awareness, but my key focus right now is, you know, Raising her. her, right, mm -hmm. and supporting her mm -hmm. and being there for her because, you know, I wasn't. So, you know, that's once, you know, once she decides what she's going to do and, you know, I have more time available, obviously this will be something that uh, mm -hmm. is a great interest of mine, so I'll be dedicating a lot more time to it. Something we didn't mention earlier when we talked about how hard it is uh, to go through those years of military service is the family. and you know, your wife and daughter, how, and I know, I don't, I'm not trying to add fire to the flame or fuel to the flame there because I know that you feel already like you're making up for a lost time, but just if anybody's listening, we were just talking to a student this morning as she was leaving mm -hmm. and saying, you know, you get into these routines because they're gone and then they get back and you're like, no, I'm it's doing like you it have my to way. Recalibrate how you handle everything. life because right. you're partner is back in the picture yeah. and again we're not military even though Robin has traveled a lot more during their life with work um, I, I can't imagine living that lifestyle yeah I definitely didn't do that very well you know I got home from being gone and just would get back into why aren't things how they were when I left yeah. you know, cracking the mm -hmm. yeah. but you know you don't realize how how much they did and how hard it was for them while you were gone and you know you know hindsight's 2020 you know, oh, if yeah. I could have gone you back, better, knowing, you do better. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, but it is a real thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Struggle on both ends, all around. So we know about the caravan. We know how to get involved. We're going to post again the social and the the websites and your contact information. Um, you know, this is this is just a sombering episode. Uh, Robin and I have, have dreaded it for the last mm -hmm. few days. We've felt a lot of nervous energy around having to have these conversations, but we, we really appreciate you um, having had some real life experience. And you say, I've only done one mission. Bro, you saved some kids. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. I you are even, doing the work. I wouldn't even say I did that. There were so many people behind the scenes. That but did you were so a part much. of it. Yeah. yeah. Give yourself I mean, credit. It, it takes, <laughs> as we've discussed, how many working parts there is to an right. operation like this. It's not just like, hey, you know, I'm free next weekend. Let's just go out there and rescue kids. It's a. You dedicated it's, time. It's, it's, of it takes your life a lot of this. behind the scenes work. And also, um, there is a National Center for the Missing and Exploited mm -hmm. Children. There's mm -hmm. a number. Uh, one eight hundred the lost um, that we definitely want to mention before mm -hmm. we wrap up that if people 
have a child that's missing or know of a situation where maybe they're questioning um, to get in touch with the right person to help uh, a child that might be in a situation like this. And also to say that we've kind of focused on the children aspect, but this is a human problem. This is a, yeah, this is a problem for all ages and that we want people just to hopefully just be aware um, like we were talking before open. the show, my son, who's 12, didn't even realize that he was at risk. And he couldn't understand why I would not let him fish alone at the end of our neighborhood, you know, on a busy road. And, you know, it's important to have these. I thought he, like you said, he's got access to all of this stuff. They kids know more than we did at that age. So I just assumed that he knew he was in danger, and he didn't. And, you know, of course, he's like, well, I'll just kick him in the nuts, you know, like he doesn't understand that he's not going to overpower a grown man, or maybe it's a different tactic. Like you said, they build trust. Well, overconfidence, right? So teach your children to be aware, be aware of their surroundings. So when my daughter goes out, you know, she's pretty self-aware, you know, I've explained to her several times, you need to be under understanding of your environment. You know, what are, what are some threats around you? Is you're getting into your car, is somebody walking up behind you? You got a situational yeah. awareness. Is or if you're just there. out shopping and, and somebody a beautiful woman you, right. walks up to you who, you know, is so glamorous and says, hey, you know, you've got great cheekbones, you know, um, show up this time. And, right. and then we know that those things happen, and that was shocking in the movie aware. to me because I'm like, "What is this beautiful woman yeah. doing, helping mm -hmm. these people?" Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, the bottom line was money, or yeah. you know, mm -hmm. who knows what her motivations, or right. You know, whatever. Exactly. Like, but yeah. Um, yeah, it can be deceiving that it's not some, like you said, some scary-looking individual. Mm -hmm. It could be some person next door. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you for sharing about all of the stuff that we've talked about. Um, I know it's hard to be open and vulnerable, and at first you didn't want to do it, and then you agreed to do it, so I appreciate you coming around and um, taking this stance. I mean, that's, that's the warrior spirit that is open to be vulnerable as well. Um, we talk about, you know, being the big bouncer guy that's head of security, but being able to man up enough to say, you know what, I have to talk about this stuff even though it's gonna make me emotional and even though it may be scary to do so. Um, so hats off to that warrior as well. Yeah, and the warrior spirit is, part of that is um, being vulnerable and having that softness with the ability to go and kick the door down if you have to, but also have the the heart of a humanitarian, mm -hmm. you know, and be able to show that side. So, you know, that's, I appreciate that you were willing to share for other men who are listening. Um, maybe we'll get some men in our statistics of listening to the podcast today because you were there's open few. enough. There's, there's a few, <laughs> but comparatively to mm -hmm. the female that we hope that, that, that um, people will share the podcast because it is such a crucial message to get out and, well, and i heard too on the spiritual side of things listening to another spiritual based podcast um that over the last few years we've had such this rise in the the um the feminine you know of mm -hmm. 
the awakening of the goddess energy. Yes, founding um, their, your voice. Right, and, but mm-hmm. we can't move forward as women if we're not bringing the men along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a part of, of allowing them to tap into the feminine, which is not being afraid to share your emotion. Mm-hmm. Men, I think, that toxic masculinity have mm-hmm. have been told, you know, buck up. Yeah. You know, don't to, don't cry. And I get on to yeah. Kirk every time he says it to our son, like, yeah. oh, you know, he'll he'll say something that's degrading towards him because he's showing emotion, and I'm like, check yourself. Like, like it's okay for him to feel that feeling mm-hmm. right now. And he'll later, you know, come back around and say, yeah, I'm sorry. And he'll apologize to our and son, which is another no-no of parenting be over the years. Yeah. You know, you're like, I'm right. I'm right all the time. And it doesn't matter. But, you know, generation, generationally, that's what we've been told. Mm-hmm. But as a parent, when we can look at what we've said or did and say, you know what, maybe I wasn't correct in that moment. And maybe I was just angry. You know that means a ton more to our children and that gives them a safe space to be like uh, you're right you know and we can talk now and we can communicate yeah. our feelings instead of just being angry so right yeah yeah thank you yeah. for being for sharing that well thank you for Part having of yourself me. it's good being yeah. here I appreciate it we appreciate well, we really you guys appreciate it and too. we will again link all the contact if you want to get in touch with Dave if you want to be a part of the caravan this Sunday that is the 30th, correct? 30th. 30th. We'll be leaving hopefully at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. from Crestview. Orthopedic Associates. Orthopedic it's right Associates. Bef- if you're headed south, it's right before you get to the yes, red light at, at Antioch. That big gas station, Lyfe. what's that called? Sefco. Sefco, yeah. Okay. So it's on the left or is it on the right? Orthopedic. It's on the if right. You're headed south. It's on the west side. Yeah. Okay. yeah. West side of yeah. 85 heading south just gotcha. so that we can do a quick join and go south yeah. towards Niceville. Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. And that'll help to just spread awareness, contact, you know, get in touch with people who may want to help be a part of this moving forward. And uh, I'm definitely interested in, you know, both organizations, how we can help get involved. So mm-hmm. if you're listening and you're pulling on your heartstrings to dive into this a little deeper, if you've watched the movie and you're like, oh my God, how do I help? Here's something locally that you can do and get involved with. So And just educate yourself and it was very eye-opening as we did research for this uh, interview the magnitude of this problem it is a number one issue worldwide Mm -hmm. and we cannot it doesn't seem like it's going away no no we we don't do anything it'll get worse yeah everyone has to be aware for your own self-protection protection of your children and if we don't protect our children, even if they do not belong to you, then we are uh, not doing our what we need to do as a society. So support foster programs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And support yeah. the the broken individuals on the other side of this. Yeah. You know, Have a compassion for people, just in general in your daily life. For sure. Amen. All right, we'll end it on that. hope you've enjoyed today's episode may you feel empowered and full of gratitude until Until next time when grateful hearts speak. speak